John 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, said he said, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The, ter- the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Thank you, Troy. Well, this is it for John. Uh, we'll be done after this message. We're in the last chapter of John. Remember the theme verse for John? I think it's in John 20. Is it John 20, 21? Or it says, uh, you know, many things were written about uh, the Lord, but these things were written so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, the Son of God, and that by believing, uh, you might have life in his name. And so, I'm hoping that the intention of John was accomplished as we, you know, went through the book of John. Yeah, it's John 20. 31, but these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So let's pray. Lord, uh, I just thank you for your precious word. I thank you that your word is flawless. We are the ones who are flawed, and we need your truth. We need your love. We need your mercy. We need your grace. Lord, we need exhortations from your word to challenge us to be kind to one another and to respect one another and to love you and to live our lives in light of your word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So God, uh, even as we look at the last chapter of John, uh, God, I pray that you would just take your word and apply it to our lives through the Holy Spirit. And as we leave here, we would want to leave here a little more in love with you than when we came. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's one question uh, that is the most important question you'll ever respond to, and it was a question that Jesus asked Peter three times in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19, that Troy just got through reading. But let me give you a little background first. It's been only a few days since Jesus was on the cross. And Simon Peter had cursed, and he had sworn, and 
Three times he's denied that he's even known the Lord, and he's gone out and he's wept bitterly, and Jesus had appeared to the disciples in his resurrected body a couple times, but the disciples were still kind of in a fog, you know, half believing, half doubting. They were restless, they were perplexed, they were disturbed. Have you ever been there? They had been told by Jesus to wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high. But in disobedience, they went up to Galilee. And there at Galilee, they were wondering what they should do. And Simon Peter said, well, I'm going fishing. He was just going back to the old way of life. And the other disciples said, well, we'll go with you. And so these commercial fishermen were out there on the Sea of Galilee fishing. But the Lord told the fish to go hide. <laughs> All night long, they fished and didn't catch one sardine, nothing, not a fish. And it reminds me of fishing with my father-in-law, you know. Rarely did we catch anything. And I believe that at this time in Simon Peter, never felt lower in his life. Remember, he's already denied the Lord, and he feels so incriminated, and, and now he's tried fishing, and he can't even fish anymore. You know, he's tired, he's wet, he's hungry, he's discouraged, he's ashamed. And then suddenly, early in the morning, after fishing all night, they see a figure over there on the shore, and it's about 100 yards to the shore, and they can't quite tell who it is, but the figure yells out, have you caught anything? They hadn't caught a thing, and he said, throw your nets on the other side, and they cast their nets on the other side and caught so many fish that they weren't even able to pull them into the boat. And then somebody realized who it was that was speaking to them, and somebody says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Simon Peter, he was so excited, he put on his fisherman's coat. He couldn't wait for the others, and he jumps in the water, and he makes his way to the shore, and he beats everybody to the shore, and you got to love this guy, don't you? The rest of the disciples come dragging the net full of fish, and when they all get there, Jesus had prepared a meal right there on the beach, and there's this charcoal fire, and Jesus has some fish cooking and bread. Now, quite obviously, you know, I think he probably got the fish from the Sea of Galilee, but where did he get the bread from? You know what I like to think? You know, I can't prove this, but... I just like to think that he turned the stones into bread. I'll do it when I want to do it, Satan. <laughs> so there's fish and there's bread. Can you imagine fishing all night? You come to shore and you smell the breakfast and that the Lord Jesus had prepared. And then Jesus said something and it must have been uh, so wonderful. You know, like it was wonderful. It was a wonderful invitation to these discouraged disciples to all these forlorn fishermen. Jesus said in John 21, verse 12, he says, come and have breakfast. What a meal that must have been on the shore of Galilee, on the, uh, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus turned to Simon Peter and asked him the greatest question that could be asked of any human being. Simon Peter, do you love me? Three times, you know, do you love me? And that question, I think, came like a javelin from the hand of Jesus right into the heart of Peter because it, get right, it gets right to the heart of the matter. And that's the question I want to ask you today. Notice uh, Jesus didn't say, hey, Simon Peter, do you believe in my doctrine? 
Hey, you can be doctrinally straight. You can believe all the right things and not love Jesus. I'm not saying you shouldn't believe the right things. But doctrine is no substitute for loving Jesus. As a matter of fact, if we love Jesus, we will believe his word. He didn't ask Simon Peter, hey, do you repent of all your sin? He said, Simon Peter, do you love me? Because if I love the Lord, I will repent of my sin. But you can't repent of your sins without loving the Lord Jesus. And he didn't say, hey, Peter, do you have faith in me? Oh, we ought to have faith in him, just as we ought to repent of our sins and just as we ought to believe this gospel. But he didn't ask him, hey, Simon Peter, do you have faith in me? Because you see, if we love him and if we trust him, or if we love him, we will trust him. And he didn't say, hey, Simon Peter, are you keeping my commandments? (laughs) Because if we love him, we will keep his word. Imagine Jesus Christ standing right here in this pulpit today. And imagine nobody else is in the church but you. And just imagine him talking directly to you. And he says to you, do you love me? What's your answer today? First of all, loving Jesus, it's more than just a profession of faith. A profession of faith does not necessarily mean that you love Jesus. For example, you know, Simon Peter had made a profession of faith in Matthew chapter 16. It was that great profession of faith where Simon Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's pretty orthodox, wasn't it? I mean, he got an A plus on that. Hey, I'm not against orthodoxy or believing the right things. You know me better than that. But I'm telling you that Jesus did not ask Peter, what about your profession of faith? Simon Peter had already made a profession of faith, and it was an orthodox profession of faith, just like many of you have made. But even after that profession of faith, the question comes, do you love me? Because didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7, you know, many will come unto me on that day and say, Lord, 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 Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. You see, you can know all about Jesus, but not really know him, not really love him. And that's kind of the way I was growing up. I knew, you know, I never really doubted the Bible, and I, I think I believed all the right things, but I really didn't know Jesus. I could have a list of facts about my wife that I believe. It's one thing to have the facts, it's another thing to have her in my arms. See the difference? See, love changes lives. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? It wasn't about profession. It wasn't about position. You see, Peter was a chosen apostle, was he not? It's not about your title. It's about your testimony. You know, think of the Old Testament. Old Pharaoh had the title, didn't he? But Moses had the testimony. Old Nebuchadnezzar, he had the title, didn't he? But Daniel had the testimony. And then Pilate, we learned a couple weeks ago. Pilate had the title, but Jesus had the testimony. We might ask the question to Judas. Judas had a title, remember? The disciple who betrayed Jesus. Hey, Judas, do you love Jesus? 
Well, I'm a church member. I'm one of the 12. I didn't ask you that, Judas. Do you love Jesus? I'm the treasure. But he didn't love Jesus. He had a title. But he didn't have a testimony. So Jesus didn't ask about profession. He didn't ask about position. He didn't ask about privilege. You know, Peter had some awesome privileges. Think about it. I mean, he's with James and John on that Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter wrote in his second letter, hey, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The Lord didn't ask Peter what kind of revelation or vision or ecstasies or insights he had. And God may have revealed all kinds of wonderful things to you. You may have had tremendous insights into the word of God. God may have spoken to you in a dream or in a vision. You may, may even have been to IHOP. Or been privileged to experience his presence in powerful ways at like a, a conference or a retreat. And that's all good and great and wonderful. But the question today is not about privilege. It's not about mountaintop experiences. It's not about revivals. It's all good. But the question is, do you love Jesus? I want to say something else. Jesus didn't ask Peter about not only profession, position, or privilege, but Jesus didn't ask Peter about performance. You know, Peter knew about performance. Remember, he walked on the water. You know, he helped catch that 153 fish. But Jesus didn't ask him about that. See, after they counted the 153 fish, the question was not, how many fish did you catch? Not, how many souls did you save? But do you love me? Hey, it's important to win others to Christ. And you will if you love Jesus. But it's not about what we've done. The question Jesus asks is this. Do you love me? You see, loving Jesus, I think, is the secret of service. Look again at John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said, feed my sheep. Notice Jesus didn't say, do you love the sheep? <laughs> he said, do you love me? He didn't say, Simon Peter, do you love to feed the sheep? No, he said, do you love me? The secret of service is not necessarily loving people. We should love people. And it's not necessarily loving to preach or loving to pray or loving to worship or loving to go on a mission trip or loving to sing or loving to teach. That's not the secret of service. That's not the requirement. It's loving Jesus. It's a burning, blazing, passionate, emotional, red-hot, zealous, crazy love for Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep. Now, Jesus was asking Simon Peter this right after breakfast, the breakfast that Jesus had prepared 
Peter had eaten at Jesus' table, and the proof of love for Jesus is not that you eat at his table, but that you feed others in the name of Jesus. Loving Jesus, it changes everything. So it's not just about serving because you like to do something or that you're good at something or it makes you feel good. Everything is about loving Jesus. In fact, if you are a leader in this church or if you're a church member or in some, on some ministry team or on the staff for any other reason, then that you love Jesus, you will have a deadening effect on this church. You say, well, I just love music. I want to be in a choir or the praise band. I love to teach. Well, that's fine. That's wonderful. But do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Then you can feed his sheep. And that's the secret of service. But not only is it the secret of service, it's the secret of steadfast service, and we're going to get into a lot of more of this in the coming weeks when we talk about serving the Lord with gladness. But look at verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and somebody else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. In other words, Peter, you're going to be an old man, and you're going to live to be an old man. What made Peter go all the way to the end? What made him steadfast? Well, he was probably martyred. He was probably killed because he was a Christian. What made him steadfast? Because Peter loved Jesus. He followed Jesus. And if you don't remember anything else today, remember this. Love Jesus. Love him with all of your heart. Because he loves you, and he loved you first, and he demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I pray that Calvary Church will come to a place where it is said of us above all things, you know, they love Jesus. They love Jesus. The city of Ephesus is a a great example of how you can lose your love for Jesus. Now you need to know that Ephesus is a real place. Mary and I and many of you uh, got to go there a few years ago, probably like 10 or 11 years ago already. We went with Dr. Mark Wilson, the same guy that led our Israel trip. I tell you, the ruins are fantastic. Uh, It was a city of some 250,000 people in that day. It's in Asia Minor, or what is today, Turkey, and Acts 19. You go home and read Acts 19. It tells us of how the church was started. Amazing things happened. I mean, Paul, he prays for 12 guys to receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. And then Paul went to the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months and argued persuasively about the kingdom of God, but they they wouldn't hear him. And so he went to the lecture hall of Tyrannus, a public place, and had daily discussions for some two years so that the Bible says that all of the Jews and all of the Greeks in Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord. And God did extraordinary miracles through the apostle Paul. It may seem a little bit weird, but even handkerchiefs 
and aprons that had touched Paul were taken to the sick, and the sick got well, and the evil spirits left him. I mean, read the account in Acts chapter 19. The Bible says many believed and openly confessed their evil deeds. Those who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And the Bible says the word of the Lord spread widely, and it grew in power. And there was a revival, and there was a riot going on at the same time. The silversmiths were all mad because no one was buying their little silver idols anymore. People were turning from idols to Jesus, and it was causing this great disturbance. And this is how the church at Ephesus started. The church at Ephesus was a great church, and Paul had such a love for this church at Ephesus. And then in Acts chapter 20, it records how Paul sent for the elders of the church of Ephesus to meet him at Miletus. And he knew he would never see them again, and he knew he would be facing prison, and he knew he would be facing hardships. And the Bible says at the end of their meeting, they all knelt down together. Can you see it in your mind? They knelt down together, and they prayed, and they wept, and they embraced, and they kissed each other. What a touching scene. Paul loved this church, and it was for the church at Ephesus that Paul prayed. Remember in Ephesians chapter 3, let me read this prayer to you. He says, I want you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God, not a him who is able to do exceeding abundantly more than we all can ask or imagine according to his power that his work is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow. What a prayer. What a church. But in spite of this church's history, In spite of the miracles and the changed lives and the word of God spreading and the prayers, in spite of all this, something happened. The church at Ephesus, they lost something. They lost that fire. They lost that passion. Because the resurrected Jesus spoke to this church at Ephesus in the Revelation, chapter 2. And he said, in spite of all this good stuff, and in spite of your amazing history, and your right doctrine, and your perseverance, and your hard work, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. It was to the church at Ephesus that Jesus spoke this. And I tell you what, if it can happen to a church, it can happen to anybody, individuals. No matter how spiritual you think you are, you can lose that first love for the Lord. You can lose that first love, that passion, that fire. And so the question Today remains the same. Do you love Jesus? Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we can almost hear you speaking right to us when we read the story about how you made breakfast for the disciples and how you called Peter out and said, do you love me? Three times, Lord, you gave him a chance to respond and you're, you're giving us a chance to respond to you today. Lord, show, it, show us what it means to, to love you. To just give our hearts completely to you. Lord, we think of two human beings, a man and a woman falling in love and they choose to have a a ring and a date, and they get married and they pledge their faith one to another because they, they love each other. And Lord, I pray that we would have that same love relationship only magnified a thousand times in our relationship with you, Jesus. I thank you that you reached out to us when we were, according to the world standards, unreachable. Lord, that we were powerless, we were enemies with you, and yet you reached out to us and on the cross, it's like you extended your arms and you just said, I love you. I love you. I want you. I desire you. Lord, I pray that you would rekindle the flame that once burned in our hearts, Lord, if that flame is lost. And that we could truly love you with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. And then love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to worship you through giving, Lord, that you said bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Don't rob me. God, I pray that we would not rob you, but we would bring to you what is due you, the tithe and then our offerings, Lord, expressions of love, that worship would be in the offering, Lord, as we offer and as we give you not only our money but our lives, Lord, that it's just a reflection and an expression of our love, true worship. Let it happen even as we gather together the offering in Jesus' name. Amen.